got a great sound to play in Hello? Have you ever snubbed a lady? Um, we had a technical problem. Are we on? Yeah. We're on there. Can I swear? <laughs> Shit! Oh, yeah. Welcome to Crunch and Roll, a podcast about the side of the radio industry that most people never hear about, featuring some of its most interesting characters. My name is John Fox. You may be thinking, well, what are you doing hosting Crunch and Roll? Well, I worked my way through hospital and student radio, presented commercial radio breakfast shows in Hull, Reading, Birmingham and Stoke. They even had a bash at presenting on the BBC. So it's safe to say that I know which side of the mic to talk into. Or do I? Okay. Now, look, before you start shouting we've got somebody else on from viking i know it's it's not my fault that that's where one of the finest presenters ever one of my radio heroes the person who made me want to get into the industry just so happened to work scott Makin is his name and he is not a geordie scott's worked in pretty much every major market in yorkshire and the northeast so if you've lived in sheffield leeds hull middlesbrough or newcastle in the last 30 years there's a good chance you know his dulcet tones and what tones they are. Over the next hour, hear about the Full Monty performance featuring a former guest of this pod, meeting a scary listener in a bar, and also the maddest story of how he came to present Breakfast on Century. Before we start, just another reminder that if you do enjoy the podcast and you are a regular listener, we'd be grateful if you could support us on Ko-fi. Just go to ko-fi.com slash crunchandroll. And thank you to everybody who supported us recently, including Mark Blackman, Andrew Baker. Thank you for the email, by the way. Keep us updated. And the delightful, the beautiful human being, Mr. Simon Timothy Green. Okay, let's crunch and roll. Oh, yeah. Scott, how are you? I'm really good. Honestly, Foxy, uh, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, how long's it been? I'm looking at me watch. It's been a few years. Oh, <laughs> It has been a few years. Um, can I just say, there's a couple of things I want to start off with before we get onto your career. Firstly, you've become more Geordie. <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, technically I'm a T-sider. To you, okay. it looks like a Geordie, but, but, but technically I'm a T-sider. So I think that probably coming back to the northeast in the noughties after leaving Viking uh, and, and then going back to CFM, and that's probably kind of, yeah, just my natural accent coming coming back, really. Uh, so you'll, you'll yeah. still get me jocking it up on air, but you know, but yeah, yes. really, yeah, off, off air. Yeah, you'll still get the tea side. Do you know, it's interesting because um, I've never kept it a secret that when I was growing up and listening to Viking, which was the station I always dreamt of being on, I've never kept it a secret that you were my favourite, Scott. So this is... <laughs> And we've had some amazing guests on Crunch and Roll so far, some incredible broadcasters, people I'm in awe of, but you're... And this sounds like I'm really fanboying here, but you were the one for me, Scott. Oh, man, honestly, I, I, I can only say that you really lowered your standards, but thank you. Honestly, John, honestly, John that, that means an awful lot. And it, it did because we we only met towards the end of my time at Viking, and I only knew about this side of you. I think it was at my leaving do, actually. And and it was Darren Latham who pointed out, and of course they said that, you know, they started calling you Stan, uh, of course, with reference to Eminem. <laughs> And they said, have you seen Stan? And I'm going, Stan, they go, Foxy. And I said, what? He said, he loves you. And I'm going, nah, nah, nah. And they went, oh, yeah. You know. So thank you, mate. Honestly, that's it. I have no idea and I don't know what to say or what to ask, you know, but I don't know why it was me. But thank you. I appreciate that, mate. It's very, I, I just, it, the, the voice was 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 one thing, but I just I just thought you were the coolest guy on air. And <laughs> I genuinely did. Even, and, even more so than J.K. and Joel and Cam. 
you know, it, but you, I looked up to all of you guys because, I mean, you, you know, it, I, I do strongly believe that if if you weren't a part of that team, and, and myself and Tom, we were there during the the, the, the bitter end of that really, those, those, those glory days. But yeah. it, unless you were part of that team, you know, I don't think anyone will really understand the, well, I don't know what the word is, the, the love that we all had for each other as a team. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, certainly, uh, I mean, you know, my era down there was kind of early 97 to mid 2000. So it was a very short kind of three, three and a half years. But it was an amazing, uh, an amazing time. And, and what's been lovely is kind of chatting to Joel, chatting to Jane, people like that, you know, who went on to kind of Key 103 into Radio 1, et cetera, to Virgin. And they still said that their best time ever out of all those stations was at Viking. And there was definitely something about it. And I don't know, I mean, obviously you had, you had, uh, you know, you had Logan there anyway, and, and Simon had been there for quite some time. Steve Jordan had been there for quite some time. But generally, I think for most of us, it was our first major gig. You know, we'd kind of been on the periphery, uh, you know, of doing weekends or fill-ins or we'd just starting out. But the, certainly for me, that was my my first major gig. And and it was, it was just a, it was just a great time to the point where when I moved back to TFM, because TFM was was my home station, that's where I started out before moving to Viking. Genuinely, I didn't want to come back. You know, the people, uh, you know, around, around East Yorkshire were just the best. My daughter had been born down there. And it was really hard to leave. It was just that it was the right time. And I'm glad I left looking back now. I'm glad I left when I did. But it was just a gorgeous time. So it will always be forever looked on with fond memories. There was never a bad time for me at Viking. Well, we'll get on to Viking in just a second because I, I, alongside your career, I don't want to talk about the the horrific moment I met you, my hero, for the very first time. So I'll tease that for later. Now, excuse my northeast ignorance. Uh, anywhere above York, I'm pretty lost. But you're from Middlesbrough. I am. Yeah. I'm yes. A, I, I am a borough boy. Uh, yes, I am, and uh, born and born and bred in the borough. And I, I now live in in Redcar, which is just out on the coast, so it's just a, a few miles away from Middlesbrough. And I moved there in 2000 when I came back from Hull. So, so, t- so tell me about how you even got the passion for radio. Completely by accident. I'm not going to lie, John. And this is this is where it gets a little bit kind of. I don't know. If, I feel kind of uh, as if I've stolen somebody's life, stolen somebody's career, and because I kind of fell into it. And, you know, and it, it's lovely. Don't get me wrong, I do have a passion for it. But, I mean, we, we, we know that, you know, so many people, we know a lot of the geeks around, you know, obviously uh, there's no finer broadcasters than the likes of Hursty, uh, you know, ultimate geek. John Foster, again, uh, a big geek, you know. And But for me, I never, I never had that. I enjoyed radio. But I never thought, oh, you know, that's, that's what I want to do or this is all I want to do since I was an embryo. Uh, you know, it, it, it was purely by accident. So I kind of... <laughs> When I left, when I left school, I, you know, as you can tell, I wasn't a clever lad, and I ended up going to college. And of all the things, I thought of going into journalism. And then I thought, oh god, I've got to do another four years. I was thinking, oh, screw that. And I ended up uh, doing shorthand and typing, right? And I ended up being pretty good at it. So I ended up being a secretary, genuinely. I, yeah, genuinely, uh, by trade, I'm a secretary. So I, so I did all the shorthand, did all the typing. And at the time when I left college. So that was about 1987. Very much kind of, it was like a, like a girl going, going into being a mechanic. You know, it was a, a completely different kind of work. And pe- people kind of looking at you going, you do what? Yeah, 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 I'm a secretary. And, uh, but it worked for me, you know, and I got, I got a couple of jobs off the, off the side of that. And my first job was as a, a receptionist for a, a big international chemical company. And I was getting calls from around the world 
because rumour got around that a guy was actually answering the phones. You know, so you're like, what? Well, you know, and then, so that was that was good. But then I kind of, about three years into doing that, I was thinking, is, is this it? Is this all there is to life? But at the same time, I'd been playing in and out of club bands and, you know, I was kind of uh, big into doing that. And I had no idea what I fancied doing. And uh, it was purely by chance that I got into TFM doing, uh, just answering the phone, just answering the phones on the on the late night phone. And this was kind of 1990. And and again, but there was no aspiration to be on air. There was no kind of, it was just like, it was another outlet to music for me. And then from there, I ended up uh, kind of from uh, answering the phones, I ended up, uh, you know, running tape shows and all that kind of stuff. And then started producing sports. And that side of it really kind of, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. And I kind of became a jack of all trades, master of none. But and, but at the time, I'd, I'd still never been on air, still kind of not really kind of had a, you know, you know I really want to do that. And it was a, it was a purely by chance thing uh, of, you know, would you have a go? <laughs> those those questions that you you rarely get asked now. And uh, and we had a new boss, Graham Ledger, at TFM. And uh, he said, you know, would you, would you have a go? Yeah, I've got, I've done everything else, you know. And that was it. And so it was, it was kind of very much by accident rather than design. So when you did your, you know, when you had a go for the very first time, did you did you realise instantly that, that this was something that you enjoyed? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I mean, God, I was no good at it. You know, I used to script every link, you know. I wasn't I wasn't a natural, you know, when it came, you know, and I used to listen to, to, to the guys at TFM and they were very natural and very easy, you know, to listen to. And I was thinking, God, how, how do you do that? Uh, so I, I don't think I was a natural at it. And uh, probably I still think that now I don't find it a very, very yeah, I don't, I don't, I can talk to people, yeah. but I don't find it a, a natural thing to do. And I think, really? it's, uh, yeah, I think that's something that I've worked on, uh, over the years. And, and so just getting that initial chance, it was that, oh yeah, this, this is all right. You know, this is, this is pretty good. And then again, purely by chance, they offered me, one show a week, which is on a Sunday night called Classic Hits. And I could pick my own music for three hours. And it was like, this is brilliant. And this was in, uh, this is in around about 1994, something like that. And, uh, and, and then I kind of started to get the bug a little bit over, over kind of the six months from when I started. I was thinking, can I actually do this? Can I actually go somewhere with this? And, uh, and at the same time, I was kind of doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes and I remember having a chat with Ledge and he said, look, you're kind of riding two bikes at the minute. You know, you potentially you could go into, into the management side of things or you could go into being a jock, but, you know, you're going to have to pick one. And straight away, it was just kind of like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be a jock. <laughs> it was. The, it sounds really silly, but it seemed like the easiest thing rather than going into the management side of things. And 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 that's kind of how it developed from uh, how it developed from there. And I remember getting my, my first contract because I was working in the office at TFM. Uh, so I was doing Monday to Friday and then I'd work on a night doing, uh, you know, producing the late show and stuff like that and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and then suddenly I had to resign from my job as a secretary there to, to basically become the weekend jock and the, and the main swing jock. And it was great because suddenly I was working just two days a week. And suddenly getting paid about five grand more than I was getting paid working <laughs> nine to five in, in the office. And it was great because... You know, I never had that get in its Friday feeling because I was working the weekend. And I, but then again, I never had. Oh, it's it's you know, it's Monday morning because I, you know I'd worked my my working week over the Saturday Sunday, and and so purely by chance, that's kind of how it, how it you know how my career was born from there. 
So, so that first contract was that for a, a full time gig or, or or was it the weekend? Sorry, and then yeah, it was it was a year contract and it was to do Saturday and Sunday breakfast. It was kind of right. it, was, it was bespoke to me because uh, what we would do is I'd come in on a Friday and and I'd get everything prepped and my job was to do Friday night late show, which was like all the the, the shows. Uh, as you used to have back then, and playing the love music uh, from 10 through to 1 or 2 in the morning. Then what I would do is I would go home for about two hours sleep. I'd get up at half four, five, and then I'd be back to do Saturday morning breakfast. But it would be it would be Bruno at the Millhouse. Do you remember Bruno Brooks? Because Bruno was my hero. And Bruno Brooks was, was live from the Millhouse. And I had to do the inserts. Uh, each and every gone into the gone into the ad breaks for twenty seconds or something like that, so I had to go and do that, and then that finished at ten. Uh, then I was on a ten till two, which included like the northeast chart, and then I'd go from two o'clock back into the other studio and produce sport two till six. So it was this massive twelve-hour shift, and then I'd go home again, get another couple of hours sleep, and I'd come back in on the Saturday night to do Love Links uh, again, the, the Love Show, and then that'd finish at kind of one or two in the morning. I'd go back home another two hours sleep and I'd get up and I'd do Sunday morning breakfast. And then that was my working week. So I'd cram in all that sort of from Friday night to, to Sunday morning. So it was, it was quite a shift, you know, and then, and then I, I kind of had, I'd carp lunch on, on, you know, sort of all the swing work uh, for, for the main jocks. I was the main cover jock. So you, you kind of got paid extra with that. So I was, I was loving it. I was, I was thinking, this is amazing. And, and to be honest, that's when things got like a little hazy because, you know, you'd go out, you'd just get absolutely, you know, get absolutely, you know, mangled on a, on a night out. And and ultimately, it was, there, there was no Monday morning feeling, there was no Friday feeling, but then it just got a little hazy where you weren't getting up until like three in the afternoon. There was no <laughs> real kind of sense or direction, you know. After about a year and a half, I was thinking, do you know what? I think I really need to to do something with this, you know, and, and kind of maybe go in a direction. Because I remember Ledge turning around to me and I remember being passed over for daytimes a couple of times. And I think largely it was my inexperience. I wasn't overly brilliant. So I can understand that. But Ledge, very, I think very more than politely, said to me, he said, look, he said, look at it from my point of view. Because I said, look, you've you passed me up now for, for daytimes on, on two occasions. And Ledge, bless him, turned around and said, do you know what? He said, look at it from my point of view. I said, what? He said, you can cover every show. And he said, so for me, you're a safe pair of hands. You know, and he said, and I can sleep easy at night, knowing that if there's a problem with anybody, you can, at the drop of a hat, go in and... And I was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? You kind of go, you bastard. <laughs> you know, it, made, it made complete sense. And, you know, yeah. and, and, but ultimately it was kind of like not doing my, myself any, any career favours. So that's when I kind of applied to Viking. And, and I'd seen this advert for Viking, which was, I think, about three weeks no, maybe about a week after after the closing date had finished, and uh, and I, I rushed a, a demo out to Mark Matthews, and uh, and I got I got a, an interview with Mark, and it was just as they were launching Magic, and uh, and Mark said, "Well, look, with with your voice, you could you know you 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 could go across two stations, as in terms of you know you could have your choice. Would you prefer to work on Magic uh, or, or, or Viking?" And again, you know, I mean, I was only 20, sorry, I mean, I was, I was a latecomer to radio. So I was kind of 26, 27 at the time. And, and so I straight away went, yeah, Viking, yeah, Viking. I don't want to be part of magic, uh, magic just yet. And, and so from, that's from there, I kind of got the gig and, and went down the hole. What was it like broadcasting to your hometown? Because 
for me, Viking was my hometown and it was just incredible that your own pals and, yeah. you know, your, your teachers that never thought you'd make anything of yourself, you know, all those people actually heard you become successful. What was it? What was that like for you? It, do you know what it, it was? It was lovely because there, there is a big kick about, you know, being on, on your hometown station. And, you know, I'd, I'd grown up with, with Radio T, well, the then Radio T's turning into TFM and then seeing all these great presenters, you know, who I, who I looked up to at the time, you know, the Mark Dennison's, the Nick Wright's, you know, people like that, Nick Piercy, they all sounded fantastic, you know. And and so there was an element of that and also Chris Farrell had come through as well and Mike Toolan, they'd just had spent a very brief amount of time at TFM in the mid, uh, in the mid 90s. So for me, that's when it, it kind of got exciting and 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 to to have that re- kind of to have that recognition i always remember because because of course uh you know i was going under my 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 real name because scott obviously isn't my my real name yeah. you know that yeah and uh <laughs> yeah yeah so 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 i was going under my real name which by the way is derek yeah that, that's my real name and uh and and so i i loved it you know we'd go out and we'd we'd kind of go into schools and do the school talks and all that kind of thing we'd do gigs i'd do quizzes and all that kind of stuff and uh, I just always remember being out one night with David Ty, and uh, Ty was uh, doing mids at the time, and he was doing a gig in Middlesbrough, and I was just having a beer at the back of the bar, and I remember this guy coming in, and he was a big guy, you know. You mean, I mean, I mean, I'm five foot seven uh, in my Cuban heels with a strong wind behind me, and this guy, he was, a, he was a, he was, he was a brick shit house, you know, and he was massive. And he looked hard as well. And I just remember seeing this guy. And he went over to, to, to Tizer. And the next thing I saw, Tizer pointing down towards me. And I'm thinking, what the, you know, what's going on here? <laughs> and, and, and then this guy starts to, to walk down towards me, just holding my eye contact. And then, you know, you start getting uncomfortable and you start looking around behind you. And I'm thinking, no, there's only the bar staff behind me. And he's really looking at me. And he, and he gets to me. And of course, you know, me only being tiny, the, the, the bigger he gets, you know, the closer he gets to me, the bigger he gets. And he turns around to me and he goes, are you Derek Makin? And I thought, well, there's no point in saying no because David Tice just literally kind of, you know, pointed <laughs> me out. And I kind of very, oh, yeah, I am. And he, he, you know, held out his hand and he shook my hand. And he, he said, I just want to say thanks. He said, because uh, he said, you used to read my letters when I was inside. He said, uh, he said an awful lot. He said, you'd read my messages from my missus to me. And he said, and it really got me through. And you know when you kind of go, who, who? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah. I said, lovely. And, and I didn't know what to say. And I, so I kind of went, so what were you in for? And he just, without even blinking, he went, armed robbery and assault. And I went, well, that's lovely. It's beautiful. Really nice to meet you. I said, uh, and I, I looked at me watch. I went, but I've got to go. <laughs> so it, it was lovely in that respect, you know. Uh, but and, and I did that and I absolutely loved it. And I, and I remember being quite good at having to leave TFM, but I also knew that I had to if I wanted to grow as a presenter and also just in the career as well. Cunty, uh, cunt. Uh, oh, we apologise, sir. We just play records till eight, nine. When do we finish? I'm not drunk. I've had a couple of drinks. I'm not drunk. <laughs> oh yeah. So let's move on to Viking then, Scott. Um, we've had Joel on on an episode, Joel Ross, and um, we, we talked that. about we yeah we talked about you, and he he mentioned the name, and he he mentioned that be, just be, prior to your arrival, there was actually a meeting about what you should because Derek wasn't quite right for the new young looking Viking. Yeah. Do, do you remember the, the the chat about that meeting? Yeah, I, I remember uh, just yeah distinctively. I remember going into Mel Booth's office. Now Mel was brilliant as an MD, and then uh, and then Mark Matthews uh, was just a lovely, lovely guy. You know, what I mean, and 
they, they took me into the office and said, look, we, you know, we want to change your name. And I said, look, that's great. You know, Derek, I mean, who looks at a, who looks at a baby and goes, you know what? We're going to call him Derek. Ooh, cool baby Derek. And so, and then obviously there was the Derek making the, uh, as well. So I said, well, look, I'm happy to switch to the Derek part, but can I keep the making just so that it's some kind of something to do with me, you know? And of course, uh, Vike and all the other lads had changed their, uh, surnames, you know, obviously Joel Ross, Joel Hogg, Jason King was Jason Griffith, Steve Jordan was Steve Dodsworth. Uh, so they'd all changed their surnames. So they said, yeah, all right then, okay. And we we, we were sat down, I remember, with, with Mark and, and Mel. And it, it, this meeting, I thought was going to go on for maybe half an hour, you know, we were going to throw names into the hats, you know, and all <laughs> this kind of stuff. And it was, if I, if I remember rightly, it seemed to be, literally just like that and and they switched it and they said look we want something short snappy american australian and as soon as they said the word australian jason donovan popped in my head right so jason donovan pops in my head so i got scott you know because that was the character that he played in neighbors yeah so short snappy and so i thought well, it's going to be a name that we put into the hat and i remember mel and, and mark just going scott scott making scott yep that'll do uh, and, and I remember Mel just going, yeah, just just get the image and sorted like that. And I was like, what? Huh? what? What? And just like that, they were like, yeah, all right, then Scott Macon. And they took me out into the office. And I thought they were going to, and then they introduced me to the staff, you know, and they took me through the office. And I thought they were going to go, well, well, this is Derek, but we're going to call him Scott on here. But they didn't. From the word go, they called me Scott. So they're introducing me to people as Scott about five minutes after they, they, they changed my name. And they're going, uh, well, this is Scott. And people are going, hi, Scott, nice to meet you. And you know when you're confusingly shaking hands? Like, yeah, I am. Lovely to meet you. And then I remember kind of meeting a few of the lads as well. And they're going, Scott? We thought Derek making from TFM. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's me. And that's kind of how the Scott side of things was born. But the first few weeks, they must have, the staff just must have thought I was the, the, the biggest, you know, ignorance, you know, twat going basically because I'd walk through the office and people would go morning Scott morning Scott and I'd be halfway down the office and I'd go oh yeah morning morning everyone and, but, but that wasn't the only thing because for the first four weeks at Viking uh, I still had to finish my weekends at TFM so oh wow so I ended up having uh, having to have an idiot cheat it reminded me who I was and where I was uh, so during the week I was Scott making uh, weekends I was Derek making Week uh, during the week I was ninety six point nine Viking FM. During the weekday weekends I was ninety six point six TFM. Today's favorite music. Today's best music. North Yorkshire and the the northeast. Northeast. Uh, what was it? North uh, Lincolnshire and whatever. So I, I literally had to write an idiot uh, sheet down just to remember like basically who I was and where I was. <laughs> and then and then from there it it's you know the, I think the weirdest thing only after that uh, was a kid asking me for my autograph. And this was a good few months in, and I had no idea how to write Scott. So I'd never written it in my life. <laughs> and, and if you see any signature of mine, I ended up just writing it in capital letters. It's very swish. I've got lots of like, you know, kind of squiggles and stuff like that to disguise the fact that I couldn't. Because I was like, is it one T? Is it two T's? You know, and so that that's kind of like where the Scott came from, you know. So when you when you went to Viking, was it straight on to mids? Uh, yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, I, and I was just trying to figure, yeah, because if I remember rightly, uh, Logan was doing breakfast, then I'd do mids, Jay was on afternoons, and then Stevie was on drive, because we were all like three-hour shows at the time. Yeah. So I think I, yeah, because I started, yeah, because it was the top 10 at 10. 
So, <laughs> so I'd, yeah, the top ten. So, so I do uh, the top ten of ten, and then I, I think Jay was on one till four. Stevie was on four till seven, and of course, Joe wasn't even kind of around. I think initially he was doing overnights, you know, and there was Cameron on on the evening show. Uh, it's, it's interesting, Scott. You talk about Cameron because the, as much as I thought you were incredible on air, I thought Cameron was was good. He, oh. I used to really enjoy. He was a bit left field, wasn't he? But he was a great jock. He, he was a fantastic jock. But like you say, he was he was he was left field. He was very relatable. He was very easy, and he made he made it an easy listen. Kind of in the respect that he was very one to one. You know, he was very personal he wasn't he wasn't the the standard he could jock it up but he somehow had this natural you know kind of south yorkshire knack of just being one-to-one and uh and yeah you know great, you know good lad great lad actually uh cameron but again paul paul higginbottom if i remember rightly oh really uh, it's, it's cameron's real name <laughs> somebody might correct me on that but yeah yeah uh but it was it was just a, it was a great time uh you know i mean he'd come in with, with logan on breakfast uh, I always remember I always remember one of Simon's like you know when Simon would have a bit of a meltdown and we had Chris the cleaner as well I don't know if Joel touched on yeah, 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 Chris yeah. the cleaner and Chris was lovely she was one of the nicest people ever and uh, she was just a, a you know a woman in a kind of probably mid 50s and she was the cleaner and she'd wait outside the studio until Simon had finished the link you know <laughs> Simon would be like you know uh, why'd I say next and, uh, and, and for whatever reason if, if the link had gone wrong or he wasn't happy for it she'd open the airlock after his mic went off and he didn't look like throwing a pencil at her or a pen and he'd go fucking hell you know and she'd go oh Simon what's wrong <laughs> and she was just so so accommodating you know <laughs> And uh, but it was it was just a really nice time. But uh, and then Mark Matthews, he he left us uh, not long after, and then we got Paul in. Yeah, we got uh, Apple Saunders in, uh, and then and then Andy Robson as well. Uh, Andrew Robson came in as, as boss. So we you know we went through a couple of couple of uh, boss changes, but it was just a great time, John. You know, it was just a, everything about it. You know, we had uh, you know I mean I to be to be honest, I was the oldest out of the lot of them by maybe about oh, easily five six years. So I didn't initially, I didn't kind of ingratiate myself because I, I, they all lived in Viking Villas, you know, outside of, outside <laughs> yeah, of right yeah, next yeah. to the marina. Uh, and, I, and I purposely, uh, I didn't want that. I didn't want to be able to see work when I, when I moved down there. So I moved to uh, the foreshore, Hesel Foreshore. And so, so when I moved there, people go, where, where do you live? And I said, uh, Hesel Foreshore. And they're like, oh, really? And I said, there's nothing oh, really about it, you know. <laughs> and, it, and there certainly wasn't anything oh, really about it when they found the dead body when, uh, one afternoon when I, went, uh, when I went back home. And they were scooping this guy out of the silt. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. There's not. There's nothing go really. And, and uh, but it was. But I had a great time down there. And and uh, and just the lads. You know, what I mean, they were so just normal. Just you know, really, just having a good time. You know, and it, so it took me a while to kind of took me a while to get used to not, not get used to settle myself down there. Because I was I was coming back twice a week to do a quiz uh, at a pub in Borough, mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd come back most weekends as well. And so it took me a long time before I kind of would settle. It probably maybe the best part of a year before I properly settled in, and uh, and then like, like you say, in the end, I didn't want to leave. You know, I didn't want to didn't want to go home. There's a couple of things about your time at Viking which I've written down in front of me. First is Club Two Thousand. I remember the, you used to DJ Club Two Thousand in Scully, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, it was uh, it was just a big room, wasn't it? Club Two Thousand. <laughs> it was it's yeah. just you know it it, it was because we, we used to have all the live nights. Uh, at Viking, which was a great idea. So Wednesday night, you'd be live from the waterfront uh, for the over-25s night. Thursday night, we were at 
Club 2000 in Scunthorpe, then the gallery in York, and then Friday night it was from Cleethorpes. So it was a great idea, you know, I mean, a great way of, of getting out there and doing doing everything live. So I ended up doing that, but but I'll be honest with you, it was it was it was JK who did the music for me. I literally just put it on the CD and was like, yeah, great. No. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was the proper DJ, you know. I mean, I was just yeah, going, yeah. literally the figurehead, you know. But uh, yeah, so so I did that for a little while. But the best part about it, I had no idea that one night Judge Jules was playing in uh, was playing in Henry Africa's. And this is, I mean, they they, they used to nickname me uh, Delamitri because I I was always the last to know about everything, <laughs> and uh, and and I had no idea. And there was this, I think it was a, a little piece in I don't know whatever the Scunthorpe Gazette or the Scunthorpe Times or whatever the hell it was, and uh, and there was a little bit about me having more people in my club than Judge Jules having in Henry Africa's. <laughs> you love that, Scott. You love that. So, so I'll take that. Yeah, I'll <laughs> take that. And and we did. You know, I mean, we had a we had a you know we had great trips to Amsterdam, uh, like listener trips to Amsterdam, things like that, you know, uh, lots of stories, of course, that we can't tell, uh, generally involving Joel. Uh, so, so, but it was just a great time. Absolutely loved it. If my memory serves me correctly, didn't you, well, you were part of the Full Monty at the Tower Nightclub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course, it was, it was the time when the, when the movie came out and everybody was doing the full Monty, you know, whether it was, you know, firemen, you know, other emergency services, or you know, just normal workmen, builders, and everybody was just, you know, doing this. So they, they came up with the idea of doing the full Monty at the tower. And, and of course, you know, John, you'll know the tower, uh, yeah, the, yeah. Tower, the tower for an hour. <laughs> and, uh, and the tower was as, oh, it was as rough as a badger's ass, but it was a, it was a great place. And they said, right, we're going to do the full Monty. So there was me, Joel and Jess, and we had to learn this dance routine to Tom Jones, you can leave your hat on, you know. And but we got a we got a, a strip troupe, a proper strip troupe to do a full on show as well, you know, because obviously, you know, viewpoint is just us doing a three minute song. <laughs> so so there, there was these, you know, big ass guys, you know, doing the full on show. And I think the first lot of tickets that were sold, I think there might have been something like 500 tickets sold. And we videoed it as well. And we had people, you know, they've kind of gone down the line of the video and all the women were, you know, excited to see the Centurions. No, we couldn't see the Viking lads. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and, and I remember distinctly, oh, Joe was off his nut. He was absolutely off his nut. So we had to stick him in the middle, right? Uh, and, and I think if there's, there's bound to be a video somewhere. And, and I always remember just having to scream at him to tell him, like, take your jacket off now, because we had our sunglasses on and everything like that. And Joe was literally just in the middle, bouncing his head. You know, he was absolutely out of it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and then right at the end, because I remember Mel Booth going, I'll give you an extra 30 quid if you go all the way. <laughs> what? 30 quid? Are you winding me up, Mel? You want me to get my knob out? No, I'm good. I'm all right. Thanks very much indeed. So, so it, gets, it gets to the point at the end of the song, right? And, uh, you know, we we did the the reveal. And I think we just had like, I don't know, a little, I don't know what the hell it was. It was just like a pair of undies on or whatever. But Joel, being absolutely off his nut, decide, <laughs> decides to go all the way. <laughs> and he gets... He gets his knob out, right? And he literally stands. Do you remember like the little, uh, there was like the, 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 the wrought iron bars on the front of the stage. Yeah. Stands up on the stage and he waves his cock around like, hey! <laughs> and because it, it was getting videoed, they just superimposed the tiniest Viking logo. <laughs> <laughs> and it was brilliant. And, and then we ended up doing it again. 
uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, a month or so later. And and I think I think we sold about another 300 tickets. So I think it was the best part of a thousand women there compared to about the 500 the first time around. <laughs> and and yeah, it was just. Uh, <laughs> It was it was a time it was a time but but again you know I mean, we were back in our twenties you know a good few yeah. stores might have. we'd be you know I'd, I'd hit the gym regularly we were playing five aside regularly so I didn't feel too bad at that point you know <laughs> so, it's just, just your it's just your honestly if you see the video his head's bouncing he had his curtains you know he had that curtain haircut his head's bouncing away and he's like literally lolling everywhere. And we just had to keep it right, you know. We just had to keep it right. It was just excellent. Take your belt off, you know. Take your t-shirt off. But uh, and then, like with me and Jason went off, and Joel just decides to get his knob out, you know. Brilliant. I, I genuinely think there'll be a lot of people listening now, considering whether they'd get their tackle out for thirty quid. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think. I don't even think it, it wasn't even around fifty, you know, or even a hundred. You know, it was like, for an extra thirty quid. No, Mel, were you? What you what are you doing? What are you doing? But no, I mean we, we had a you know absolutely brilliant, uh, absolutely brilliant time. But but that was that was the great thing with Holland. I always found that with the people there, is that they were so welcoming, they were so lovely and warm. You know, you'd go into the supermarket, and you could be absolutely anybody, and they'd just chat to you. You know, they were so welcoming, yeah. and and I I loved that about the place. You know, I absolutely loved it. I remember. Uh, <laughs> One one time though, when I, I I didn't really do so well, and it was off the back of a, uh, an awards, you know, when we used to do our uh, our national awards, and I think we were on by EMAP at the time, yeah. and it was in Manchester, and yeah, uh, yeah this was nineteen ninety seven, so it was my first proper awards, and I'd been yeah, we'd all been drinking since about four or five o'clock in the bar, and naturally, because it went all the way through, and they wouldn't let me have Saturday breakfast off. They, they didn't have anybody, I think, to cover me for Saturday breakfast. So I had to get a, a taxi back to do Saturday breakfast. So I stopped drinking at about one, two, and I got a taxi back at three. And oh. I was really, oh, yeah. You know, Sir Rolly Birkin, I was very, very drunk, uh, gone on air. And, uh, and you know, just those moments where you'd pull your mic down and go, did I just say fuck? Did I say fuck? I don't think I did. I'm not quite sure if I did or if I didn't. <laughs> so, and there was many a times like that, but I remember distinctly this one. And and it was also the day the Borough were in the FA Cup final against Chelsea, right? So I had a real plan, you know, I mean, bear in mind, massively hungover, very little sleep. And but I also had to do this gig straight after my show, which was launching the whole Sharks new strip for the following season. <laughs> so so I'd done the show uh, Saturday breakfast, uh, went back home, got showered again. And then went back to uh, uh, went back to, to back into the city centre and uh, what, what, what's it what's it place the, the shopping centre with the Prince, Princess Key yeah, Princess Key and it was in the Princess Key and uh, and I remember John Bradley John was our sports guy at the time and he'd written me a load of notes which I'd not even bothered to read right so so he'd, he'd write a little bit about you know put the player the position and then a little note for me to kind of like just all right okay so the, and the, and the whole sharks were modelling the kit and so I was down on the on the bottom and they were coming down the escalators you know and and the, the two or three tiers in the in the princess key absolutely chocker you know whole sharks bloody 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 massive round of applause for each and every player gets to the final one it was the captain can't remember his name but I remember him being a I think he was a Kiwi and uh, and and it got to the point where like you say I was just reading John's little side notes pretty much verbatim you know not even checked through it gets to the final lad and he's the, he's the captain of the whole sharks monster of a guy and as he's coming down, as he's coming down, coming down the, the escalator, I said, so-and-so, so-and-so, the captain of the whole shacks, massive round of applause. And then I go to read John's bit, right? 
and it, and John had put, and I just went, yeah, it sounds like well, captain of the whole Sharks. Yep, and of course, not only does he play like a bulldog, but he looks, oh. <laughs> and John had just put, not only does he play like a bulldog, but he looks like one. <laughs> so, and I just said this, and it, but apart from looks like he, I'd got to the looks, and it was just, oh yeah, not only of course does he play like a bulldog, but he looks. And I just wasn't, and you could just see this big gasp, from, well, first from me on my mic, and then the audience, and then, and then this old shark player coming down. Fair play to him; he took it all in his stride. And I digest him, and I'll see you later. I was like, all right, then, okay. So there are those moments when you, you know, you think I, I must do better. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> must be a little bit more but, and then the worst part about it I had to drive straight to Borough uh, and watch the FA Cup final and then of course that was the, the 41 seconds in and Robert Di Matteo hit, hit the first goal for Chelsea and that was it so it was, a, it was an awful day all round but yeah good memories good times oh yeah so let's go on to the next station so we've, we've talked about you know your love for Viking and what it was like that the team you were all really close knit you're a, a really close team so you moved to Radio Air next w- yeah. was that your choice or was that was, well, was that well, an EMAP choice uh, no I didn't I, I came back to TFM so from from Viking I went back to yeah. TFM and uh, and that was a personal choice because my daughter had been born in Hull and it was just at the time when everybody was starting to kind of splinter off and Joel and Jason were heading over to Manchester and I think uh, I think a couple of people behind the scenes like Lee Thompson and uh, people like that were, were starting to move on as well. So I was thinking, do you know what, maybe it's, maybe it's time for me and I kind of put the feelers out back at TFM and, and, and Andy Robson was great because Andy, you know, when the TFM turned around and said, well, look, you know, yeah, you know, we, we you know, we'd, we'd, we'd be more than happy to take you. And, uh, and Andy and I, and I mentioned this to Andy, and he was he was lovely. He said, "Well, look, make sure it's the the right deal for you. You know that it's it's secure for you." So I got, I, I managed to kind of like negotiate a, a good two year deal, uh, and I moved back uh, to Middlesbrough, and so I spent a couple of years, but very very quickly got bounced around the schedules, and it was it was very it was it was kind of very truculent time, you know, just a very turbulent time, people getting moved left, right, and centre, and very very quickly it was kind of I got moved off day times. And uh, and they, and they said, look, well, we're going for a, a younger sound, and, and I'd always, you know, I'd always known that I'd got a, an older sounding voice, and of course, it was at the time when, uh, you know, I mean, the, the the PDs were only kind of in the early to mid twenties, that kind of thing, you know, so they were very much kind of focused on the, on the young, and I said, okay, so I ended up doing the late show at TFM. And then I got quickly bounced onto the Magic Late Show, which was right across the northeast. And then and you're thinking, oh God, okay, then right, fair enough. And then uh, I was under Col Colin Patterson at the time, and Colin didn't really rate me, you know, and he'll probably admit to that. And uh, and so my 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 time was up at TFM, sort of around 2004, and uh, ended up going to Magic up at Metro, and so I ended up doing afternoons there. Uh, for about a year and a half, something like that, and then from there, uh, it's a, it was a big, it was a big difference because I ended up going to do uh, Century FM breakfast. So of course that was regional as well, you know, and uh, right across the northeast. So that was a that was real kind of like interesting time, considering I'd never wanted to do breakfast and I've never, never had any plans on doing breakfast, you know, or anything like that. That was a really strange and interesting time. I was, I was going to ask about the breakfast thing, and you've just completely blown my research out of the water. So I apologise for that. But uh-huh. it, it, you do breakfast on Century, and I, I remember that because 
you, you really have honed your craft into being a really strong music jock. So then yeah. for someone to say, will he take over the, the breakfast show? That must have been, that must have taken some thinking. Uh, you, well, no, no, because they doubled my salary. <laughs> so, All right, okay. Yes, I'll do it. <laughs> no, no, it was a really, no, genuinely, it was a really weird thing because, uh, because I knew that, I also knew that Century was going through some changes as well, you know, and I think they were looking for kind of, it was almost, it, it came across as if they were looking for jocks across the board. And now bear in mind at the time, uh, geographically, Metro was based on one side of the time bridge, Century was based on the other side of the time bridge. And so I literally came out of Metro, just walked over the time bridge and went for a chat uh, with, with Owen, because Owen Ryan had, had just become uh, boss at, at Century. And uh, and, it, and it just wasn't working, you know I mean? I'd, I'd kind of, it's the first time I'd ever been asked to go in and, and demo and do a demo. And, and and just like what you were saying at the beginning, you know, you, you can hear more of my Northeast accent. When me and Owen were chatting, he said, I, he said, I love that that Borough accent. He said, I love that. He said, but when you go in, you know, to do your thing, he said, you become very jock and almost very generic. And he said, and I want that Borough guy. And I said, oh, I said, Owen, I said, don't get me wrong. I said, I've kind of worked all that accent out because I, at the time accents weren't really in, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I said, so I'd, I'd kind of worked it out. So when I went on, when I went on the mic, it, when I went on air, you kind of natural jock, you know, comes in. He went, no, he said, I really want the Borough guy. And, it, and I was struggling. I went in for about three or four demos. And in the end, he, he said, look, he said, I'm going to put you in with Lisa Shaw just to kind of relax you. And I just want to kind of hear you be you, you know. And me and Lisa didn't know each other. Uh, and so we we did this these couple of demos and we really hit it off, you know, like a, like a house on fire. And that was very much when the real me, you know, I'd been kind of this this jock on air for 10 years at that point or so, uh, maybe a little more, but it was, the, it was the real me that was coming out finally, just in conversation, you know? And, and, and then that was it. And I got offered breakfast and it was really weird. I knew I was going to get offered something, but I thought it would have been, you know, another day part. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember going in and meeting Andy McPherson. And do you know Andy? Have you spoken to Andy? No, I haven't. Andy, Andy's a complete poker face, you know? And uh, I only met him a couple of times, and Andy was was Owen's boss. And I remember being sat, <laughs> I remember being sat in the boardroom opposite the pair of them. Now, bearing in mind, I had not long since lost my mum, and you know when you're kind of going through that. You know, I've done four demos. You know, at any other time, I'd have probably jumped through hoops, I'd have kissed ass, anything. All, all I wanted, I was like, just fucking make your mind up. You know, do you want me? <laughs> don't you want me? You know, that I was in that, and that's really not me. You know, that's really not me. So I remember Andy McPherson turned around and it was more so Owen's face because Owen was sat right next to him. And Andy, Andy Max says, so Scott, what do you bring to the table? Now, again, any other time, I'd have bullshitted my way out of wax lyrical, like you say. And at this point, I just thought, do you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth. I said, I'll be honest, Andy. Uh, I said, not a great deal. I said, you know, I'm, I'm my... <laughs> and straight away, Owen's face just dropped. And I said, my career's in mids. I said, you know, I've done a lot of weekend breakfast and, and stuff like that. I said, but I'm largely, a, you know, a mids jock. I said, I'll be honest with you. I said, my voice doesn't really kick in till probably about 11. And, <laughs> and, I, and, I'm, and I, I'm not really that creative. Right? <laughs> so, Jesus. And I could see Owen's face was just thinking, what the fuck are you doing? You know, but Andy, Andy Mack's face didn't, didn't flinch. It didn't flicker. One I and, and to this day, I don't know if he thought, is he winding me up? Is he being honest with me? And I thought, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna tell you, you know. 
And anyway, they 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 still offered it to me. And it, was, and it was it was co-host with 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 Lisa. You know, it was co-host with Lisa Shaw. And uh, and they 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 told me, you know, they they kind of doubled my salary. And again, I've never I've never been one of these presenters to play hardball. But I thought, you know what? It's probably going to be my one and only shot to maybe try to do it. So I knocked them back. <laughs> right, at this point, I'm thinking, what the fuck are you doing? So I went, oh, no. Nah, do, you know, do you know what? I'm going to have to have a bit of time to think about it. I said, but I've got two young kids, you know, and uh, my ex-wife at the time, you know, I said, she might have to give up work, you know. So, and I went, can you know, can you give me a little bit of time to think about it, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure, you know. So I remember coming out of Century and I remember driving under the time bridge to the to, to the quayside and I remember ringing my dad. Now, my dad never swore. <laughs> my dad was very old school. And he said, how'd they go? I said, I said they've offered me the job. He said, that's brilliant, son. Uh, he said, good money. I said, they've offered to double my, double my wage. Unbelievable. When do you start? I went, I've turned them down. He went, you fucking done what? <laughs> I was like... <laughs> And I, I went, yeah, yeah. And he went, oh, what, you know, so anyway, uh, and I remember kind of going back and they they rang me about an hour later to say, well, look, you know, we'll offer you, you know, we'll put in an extra couple of grand, but we'll give you rage out bonuses as well. So I went, yeah, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, I remember when it was announced to to like the staff at Metro and I remember John Kane, John was, was a, a jock at Magic at the time and I'd known John for years from his, his I mean, John had been a radio tease and TFM jock. And he'd been on magic. He was just a stalwart across the beam and everything. And I remember John coming up to me and, and it, there was no, you know, you couldn't take it with offence because he was just being honest. And I went, yeah, no. And he says to me, mate, you know, when it was announced, he went, mate, he said, you know, you're a good jock, but you're not a breakfast jock. I went, John, I've told them that. <laughs> <laughs> but in the end, we had, you know, we had three great years. Uh, you know, we we kind of, we, our figures ended up being absolutely Great, you know, and, and so, yeah, and it was, and and you know, got to do with with a, oh, you know, just uh, just a, a wonderful, wonderful, oh, wonderful, wonderful woman. Did you enjoy doing breakfast? Yeah, but I mean, it was nice because we had a, you know, our show started at five thirty. It didn't start at six. It started at five thirty. So, and I lived in Redcar, so this was in Newcastle. So I'd get up at half past three, get in the shower, take about forty five minutes to drive up, get get up there for five, and then we'd be on air kind of half five till nine and and it was it was it was great you know and, and i remember it was it was the softest launch because it, you know that you know nobody i wasn't a big name or anything like that and i remember owen saying to me all i want you to do is just go in there be you and i remember the the main their main uh game at the time was battle of the sexes at quarter past eight yeah and he said i just want you to wind people up and i said well that's not really me he went no he said just just cheat you know and uh, so I said, all right, then, okay. So we were doing this, like, Battle of the Sexes game. And I would, you know, I'd blatantly cheat. Well, of course, that was it. It was just like lighting a touch paper. Oh, you, you know, <laughs> you know, this is so much better with just Lisa Shaw. You know, we don't like you know. And And so it was, it was, it was, it was lovely. It was a, it was a, it was a joy, considering I'd never planned, I never wanted really to do breakfast. And so I did two years with Lisa. And then me, me and Ben Weston uh, did a year together as well. And, and when I, when I, you know, when I got canned, uh, I, I never... I never missed it. I've never fancied doing breakfast again. It's, it's never really interested me. You know, I've done Saturday breakfast uh, teas uh, for, for for quite some time. But that, you know, that was a different thing altogether. You know, it was much more relaxed and, and it, there wasn't the pressure that there was there. Uh, so I, I never I never planned, never started to, or wanted to do breakfast like a lot of people do. And I remember Ben, I think Ben 
kind of still had that yearning to, he said, you know, I, I don't feel like I've, I've got out of my system, you know, I want to do a little bit more. And I was like, no, I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm quite happy, you know. And then from there, I went back to Metro and, and TFM. You spend a bit of time there. Where's next after that? Uh, well, Andy Robson at this point had, had moved to BBC Newcastle. And, uh, you know, I, I left uh, Century in the, the October of 2008. And I wasn't, obviously, I wasn't allowed to, to work in the, the North East for about three months. And then I, I end up just being kind of a weekend breakfast and cover jock on Metro and TFM. And so I, I was doing that. And then uh, Andy got in touch. And, and I'd done some work at, at BBC Tees as well, you know, in, in the interim. And as much and as long as me and Andy had, had known each other, uh, we, we got together and he said, I said, you know what? He said, if I'd not heard you on Tees, I wouldn't have realised that you could have done, you know, so much speech. Yeah. And so we started talking because he was looking after, he was looking to, to replace uh, mids on, on BBC Newcastle. And he offered me uh, the, the, the gig at Newcastle and I initially accepted. And so I, I then went back to the, the boss of the TFM and said, look guys, you know, uh, you know, thanks very much for the last few months, but uh, BBC Newcastle have, have offered me this. And I got a call that night and uh, off Trevor Elliott and Trevor said, have you signed anything? I said, no, I said, not yet. I said, you know, but oh, look, there's, there's something coming back up at TFM in the next few months. And I, I said, look, I, you know, I've, I've been at TFM twice, you know, and been there, got the T-shirt. I'm, I, I'd love to do a little bit more speech, you know, particularly off the back of doing breakfast where you get to talk a little bit more. Yeah. And he said, just have a think about it. And it, it, it was bizarre because of all the things that won out in the end, it was geography. Because I'd for, for sort of five years, I'd been driving up to Newcastle and it was like a 100-mile round trip. Uh Sort of three years at, at, at kind of uh, certainly at, at doing Century, and then the, the two years pre previous to Metro and TF uh, Metro and Magic, it was kind of a five year hundred mile round trip, and it was it was simple geography, and I and I ended up t turning it down. I said, had it been BBC T's, I'd have jumped at it. I said, but I'm I'm going to go to TFM, and Andy was lovely because you know Andy, if you know Andy, he's, he's he's just brutally honest, and he said, I think you're making the wrong decision. He said, but fair enough, you know. And then, so I went back to TFM at the age of 41. Now, bearing in mind, this is 10 years after being taken off air for being too old. So that, yeah. <laughs> that had really lodged with me, you know. And, and it was really, so it was a real, real hard mental block to get over because you're thinking, I'm 41 and I'm going back to TFM. And then it was having to kind of learn to jock again because you'd been used to double-heading. And, and just kind of learning to, to, to be solo jock again. And, and so I ended up doing three years there. And I remember saying uh, to Alex, uh, my boss at the beginning, I said, look, when it comes to not renewing my contract, just give me as much notice as, as you can. <laughs> so so three three years later, he turns around and he goes, mate, they're not going to renew your contract. And I, he gave me about four months notice. Right? <laughs> so I was like, all right, then fair enough, no worries. And and uh, in the end, I was just like, well, you just put me on gardening leave. He said, nope, you've got to work it all the way through. And then by that time, Owen Ryan had spent some time in Australia for a few years and he'd come back and he was the boss at, at Hallam. And uh, Owen said, you know, come in for a chat. And uh, he offered me the, the, the gig of, of mids at Hallam. So I literally left TFM on the Friday, the day my contract finished, and started Hallam on the Monday. So in one respect, it kind of looks as if I, you know, I'd, I'd got a bit of a promotion and gone to a massive station in reality. I just wasn't getting my contract renewed and by accident. Uh, ended up at Hallam, uh, and so that that was driving two hundred and ten mile round trip six days a week. You no, know. so you, you didn't move to Sheffield. No, I, I I attempted to kind of stay over 
uh, a couple of nights a week. But but of course, we back then the mid show was five hours long, right? And I was oh, like, blimey, was yeah, like, five hours. What? And uh, so, and I was going, well, you know, if you listen to Radio 2, I said, the, I said, the day doesn't move for Alan, listener. So if you listen to Radio 2, I said, you know, I said, I come on at 10 o'clock. I said, you're half an hour into Ken Bruce. I said, by the time I come off, you, you're an hour into Steve Rice. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know I, mean? I said, your day doesn't move. And anyway, they, they end up short at the, to the usual four hours. Uh, but so then I was thinking, you know, oh, I'll just stay over a couple of nights a week. But then you'd check into a, you know, travel lodge and you're thinking, I could have been home in an hour's time. You know, and I, and I, I, I quite enjoy driving, you know, and but it was a it was a 105 mile trip there, 105 mile trip back. And of course, it was six shows a week. And I did that for about a year and a half. Uh, and then it just started to take its toll a little bit. And of all of the stations, uh, Alpha, A1, whatever the hell it was called, the, the little small station in Darlington that uh, that it used to be. They got in touch and said, would you be interested in coming? I said, yeah, all right then, okay. So all that got sorted and I put in my notice to to, to leave Hallam. Uh, Hallam brought in Simon Morrigan for me. And at the 11th hour, uh, what's it called? What's it called now? Alpha, I can't remember the, the name of the station. They pulled the offer on me because they, I think the new boss there had been told how much financial difficulty they were in. And suddenly I was literally left without a gig, you know, and I rang Owen in this blind panic and he went, uh, and I went, oh, oh, you know, and he was like, what? And I said, they pulled the rug. And I went, it's, you know, Simon definitely coming. He went, mate, he signed his contract. He's starting like when you leave, you know, and, uh, and fair play to Owen. He, he kind of pulled my nuts out of the fire. He said, look, bear with me. He said, and I'll get back in touch with you next week. And purely by chance, Rich Williams was leaving Radio Air to go to Hart. And so I, I got drive at Radio Air again by chance. And uh, so so my drive was a little bit shorter from 210 miles a day to a 150 mile round trip. <laughs> and so I ended up at, at Radio Air for just over three years, three and a half years. And then I went back onto mids as well. So I had a great time at Radio Air. You know, it was just nice. You spent a lot of time at EMAP, Scott. Yeah. We, we, we haven't brushed upon... I think we did, but not enough. Uh, the EMAP Awards, which uh, anybody who's been with an EMAP, I have to ask the question of of, of your experience of the EMAP Awards. Yeah, they, they, they were, I mean, they were, they were legendary. <laughs> as, as you know, they were, they were absolutely legendary. I mean, particularly the, the EMAP Awards because they would throw money at it left, right and centre. You know, they, their uh, receptions were fantastic. You know, you'd go into... I remember the Ponds Forge at Sheffield a few times. And they, they, the way they did it out was fantastic. You know, you'd go in and there'd be a different theme every year. One theme was kind of, I think it might have been Greek gods and everybody that was serving you were in togas and all that. Another year, it was a nuclear theme for some reason. So people serving you in kind of gas masks and kitted out in these suits, you know. I remember that one. Do you remember that? And it was just really so. weird. And, and I remember, you know, what, at one point kind of, was it D Ford being kind of arriving? Uh, no, it was D Ford arriving on the side saddle on a, on a Harley, being weaved in in and out the audience. And then I think it might have been Tim Schoonermaker arriving in the bucket of a of a JCB one year. It was just bizarre. So that it, so it was literally everything was thrown at it. And I remember my first one going in there, you know, and they'd have all the photographers dressed as the old thirties photographers with the trilbies on and the the Rain Max, you know. But it was this assault on the senses going into into the awards where it was a cross for me uh, between a concert and a football match. You know, the, the noise, you know, and the, the lights would be going around, you know, that everybody would be trying to outshout each other. And then, of course, you'd have 
the you know the stars of the day popping up going hey everybody at EMF you know have a great night you know thanks for playing the song and I think that the one that sticks out in particular is when <laughs> when we were in Viking and there was a couple of girls on reception one of them was Amanda and boys home were huge at the time and <laughs> and I remember kind of Robbie Williams was linking it all so he was kind of linking everybody in and uh, and the final person to link in was was Ronan Keating. And, you know, so it cuts to the video screens. He goes, hey, everybody at EMAP, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, we're just about to go on stage. And I just want to say thanks very much indeed, you know, uh, for this wonderful uh, award, blah, blah, blah. And he went, oh, fuck it, I'll come out. And he was behind the stage because they, wow. they were playing at the arena, uh, Sheffield Arena, just over the road. And and I always remember, so everybody was like, ah, you know. And I just remember, a man, I think it was Amanda from, from Viking. And she was absolutely whammoed, you know, completely whammoed. Well, she just went for him. She absolutely ran, sprinted at Ronan Keating. And it was kind of like watching Roadrunner hit a wall when she <laughs> came up against his minder, you know, and she just absolutely went for him and <laughs> minder just put his hand out and she just went, bah, 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 you know, and, and yeah, it, it, those, those lovely moments and where the, the, the bins were filled from, from bottom to top in, in Budweiser, you know, plenty of wine on the table. Then you get your bacon and sausage sarnies at 12 o'clock, you know, and it was just, and then, then you were paid to stay over, you know, you, they'd buy you a room. And so it was just great, great times, you know, and, and, and lots of shenanigans. We're having a party. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about now then. So um, after Radio Air, you eventually join the dark side. You go to the BBC. Yeah. Um, which I did in my career. I left um, Signal One and um, attempted to to get into the BBC full time. Didn't quite cut the mustard, um, but I always described it to to my pals as it's a little bit like rugby league and rugby union. So <laughs> commercial being rugby league, a bit rough and ready, uh, and, and rugby union being the BBC, where it's just a bit more shirt and tie as you're drinking your brandy in the clubhouse. So how did, you, was it Andy Robson who eventually got you into the BBC? No, actually, strangely, no. Uh, it was uh, John Foster. Uh, and and genuinely, if, if it hadn't been for John leaving, Probably wouldn't have been here actually, and and John kind of put my name forward. I think a couple of times, and and it was Sarah Carter. Uh, Sarah's up at BBC Newcastle now, and Sarah was based here at the time, and you know she got in touch, and and Dan Thorpe, who's still here, uh, is the editor. Uh, so and just asked me, you know, would I be interested in doing a, a you know covering a couple of Saturday breakfasts? You know, I said, yeah, you know, terrific, you know, and but I'd never again, the BBC had never been on my radar. I'd, I'd always been in commercial, so it never. Never, it never even crossed my mind. Never even occurred to me to 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 come to the Beeb or even try to come to the Beeb. And so at that point in my career, leaving Radio Air, uh, and I said, and I said to him, my other half, I said, you know what? I said, I'm, I think I'm pretty much done. You know, and I've I've had a good run. You know, I've I've kind of been consistently in work for 25 years. You know, it's not bad, it's not bad going. You know, I've had a, I've had a great run. You know, it feels like I've got my bus fare home. I've had a great day out. Thanks, thanks very much indeed. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and so that's that's how it felt. And so coming to the to the Beeb, and then kind of doing a little bit more, kind of depping in for for daytimes. You know, Mike Parr and people like that at the time. Uh, you know, and Gary Phillipson at the time. So I do <clears throat> I do a lot of depths and. I, you know, and so I just, and I'd said to them, look, you know, if there's anything coming up, you know, will you, will you kind of throw my, my my hat in the ring? And they were like, yeah, you know, but no. And it it was, it was strange, you know, and it took a little while. I think I was here about 18 months before I got the afternoon gig full time. And, and it is strange because obviously in commercial radio, you know, time is money and everything is, is you know, 
kind of done there and then, you know, decisions are made there and then. Where typically as the Beeb, of course, you know, it, it's it's not. And and that's the bit that I found really weird, you know, uh, was that it was kind of, it felt like manana, manana, you know, that sometimes decisions were, weren't were made as quick or as, you know, as decisive or anything like that. So that that's the bit I think that I found strange and maybe sometimes a little bit frustrating, you know, you're kind of like, oh, okay then. <laughs> but, but it's it's like anything else, you know. You you adapt on you. You you learn to adapt, and uh, you know, it, yeah. It, it, that, I think that that was it. Uh, and then of course the, the, their music policy, you know, they they were starting to introduce more uh, more new music, you know, newer artists and stuff that was in the charts a little bit more. So it didn't seem to have that stigma that maybe it once had, if you know, being a, a you know a bit of a footy duddy kind of station. And and certainly, Tease has always been has always had kind of a younger playlist as well. So from that point of view, it's it's you know it's been great. Uh, and then of course, you know, we went through this really rough time in the in the last year, and and that you know that that was difficult. That was really really difficult. Yeah, I bet. And uh, and and, and you, you couldn't agree with it. But you, you know, certainly if you're on you know this side of the fence, you couldn't agree with it. Uh, but that, that's just the way it was. And, you know, sadly, it, it lost a lot of people. A lot of people chose to leave. A lot of people didn't get what they wanted. Uh, I was very lucky, very lucky to, to kind of get, you know, get the gig that, I, that I'm doing now. But it was also at the expense of, of somebody else who you knew. So you you couldn't really celebrate. You didn't feel, you know, oh, great, get in. Because you knew that somebody else had to make way, you know. And so you've got to be aware of that. Uh, but it, it, you know, since kind of doing this new show, it, you know, we've we've had very much a positive reaction. So it's it's been lovely in that respect. You know, we, I was expecting a lot more negativity, but it's been really really nice. Uh, but you know, we'll just see how it goes. <laughs> it's a, it's a completely different skill doing what you're doing now because I, I remember when I was first asked to to cover the breakfast show on BBC WM, and I I, I turned up at five o'clock in the morning to meet the 57 producers, uh, which, I, which I certainly wasn't used to. And I, I kind of, I went in there and I, I'd not been on breakfast for some time. I'd left, I'd been booted from Signal and, you know, I was really excited. Um, a, a fat kid in the sweet shop type thing. And, and I remember walking in, I'd not really listened to their breakfast show before, if I'm being deadly honest, Scott. And I, and I was like, right, I've got some cracking ideas. We'll do a phone in, a funny one about, I can't remember, standing in dog poo and stuff and blah, 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 blah. And they're like, no, 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 it's all it's all planned and it's um, 90 minutes speech. And I'm like, it's what? <laughs> Jesus, what? Yeah. What, without music? What? <laughs> it's all on about? the ads? I need the ads. <laughs> yeah. it, it is. It's a, it, I, I think, you know, looking back uh, and when you say, you know, the difference, you know, between commercial and, and the beep, the, it, it certainly was a baptism of fire, you know, joining the beep. And and it, 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 but I think it's going to be like that anywhere that you go, you know, whether if it, whether it was gone from the beep to commercial or vice versa, there was always going to be that that gear change. And, uh, but like I say, it's it's one of those where you, you adapt, you know, I mean, we're lucky enough to, you know, I have a, a fantastic producer uh, in Donna, you know, and there's some great people that work, uh, you know, work in the building as well. And some that have worked here, donkey's years. What's lovely is to see the, the young'uns come through now. You know, and it's it's really really lovely to see. You know, these kids that have kind of, I don't know, they've they've done their their degrees and stuff like that, and they've got that they've got that glint in their eye, and they've got that want. You know, and it's lovely, lovely. It really is nice to see. Don't get me wrong, I would hate to think that I was getting into radio now, 
Do you know, yeah. particularly, and I think how difficult it must be compared to when, when we first got into it. But it's lovely to see that little kind of enthusiasm and that kind of, yeah, we want to do that when you go, yeah, go for it, you know, see what you can do. See what you can do. And, and, and I mean, one of the girls here, she's just got a gig uh, down uh, in the Midlands for Newsbeat. And she was one of our apprentices. And she's uh, she 21, something like that. And, uh, and you think, get in there. Good for you. You know, just enjoy the ride. So I think it's brilliant. It's lovely to see that now. Do you know what's really nice? That, you, you know, for the last hour, you've been talking about your career. And throughout the whole hour, you've done it with a smile on your face. So it sounds to me like you've, You've gone through your radio career just loving it. I think I've been really lucky, to be honest, John. I think, uh, uh, yeah, like, like I said to you at the beginning, I think there's part of me, at times there's part of me thinks that I've stolen somebody's life, you know, because I didn't want to, you know, because I didn't want to be in radio since I was an embryo. I kind of fell into it by, you know, accident rather than design. There is part of me thinking that, you know, I've, I've been very, very lucky to stay in constant work for for 30 years and uh, and I have loved it uh, and, I, and, I, and I've always said it beats working for a living you know and I, and I you know I know what it was like to kind of go in in a shirt and tie uh, and not have the radio on you know that kind of thing and now to come in and you go yeah you know what, what, do, what do you do you know I mean I know people who really have to graft for a living you know really had to do it I see far more talented presenters than I could ever ever hope to be that have gone by the wayside and that have left radio you know, and so you kind of go, all right, uh, I'm I'm still here, and 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 I've always and I've always said, until the talent police come knocking on the door and go, right, they're making, you've had you've had your time, go and do one, then I'll I'll do it for you know for as long as I can. I I started the the pod by saying that I wanted to share the story of the first time I met you, because you were my hero Viking, which you know we've talked about, and. I remember when I got offered the weekend overnight gigs at Viking and um, I was doing my first ever show. So it was Saturday morning, 1am till 7am. I mean, what a beast of a show that was. <laughs> and I, I didn't know what to expect. I was really nervous that I'd meet any of you, you know, especially yourself, because I thought you were incredible on air. And I, I remember my first show doing the show with a, with a shirt and tie on because I thought that I had to dress smart and... I just look like an absolute tit. And, and <laughs> it, it was about three minutes to seven and you were doing Saturday morning breakfast and I knew you were coming. So the last hour of that show was horrendous for me because I was getting really nervous to meet you. And, and you walked in with a leather jacket on and you had a cap on and you walked in and you went, hey, nice to meet you, Scott. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Nice to meet you too, mate. And you walked in and I remember I'd just done that beast of a show, my first ever professional gig. And you walked in, and it was your turn to take over. You, you took your jacket off, you flung your cap off, <laughs> you, you kind of pre-faded the mic, and you're like, one, two, one, two. <laughs> and then, then you looked at the mic, and then, and this, uh, this, this memory will never leave me to the day I die, because one of my radio heroes did this. You looked at the mic, and I'd been broadcasting with the microphone the wrong way around for seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> you turned it but the, the beautiful thing is Scott is you turned it round but you didn't say anything to me like what the have you been doing you've been broadcasting you just smiled and then cracked on you put up in the mic and <laughs> off you went And I, but I was like oh please no <laughs> oh man it doesn't matter it happens to us all you know <laughs> times you know things like, things like that it doesn't. To us all. oh <laughs> man honestly do you know what I, I do remember 
us meeting. I, I don't remember that particular thing, I, but I do remember that morning coming in that morning and meeting you for the first time. I actually do remember that as well. And uh, and, and it, it's it's weird, isn't it? What you remember, what you forget. And, and equally, other people's take on maybe that same event or that same memory just has a, a little bit of a different thing. But but yeah, I think all in all, you know, I mean, I, like I say, I, I count myself lucky and and, and thankful uh, to have, you know, <laughs> to, to to have kind of done this uh, uh, for for as long as I have done. And and I, and and I'm at an age now. I'm kind of mid fifties now to say, do you know what? I've had a great time. You know, I've, and it is, and it, it and it's the. It, 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 without, it is, I've had a great time. I've got my bus fare home. Thanks very much indeed. You know, uh, and if and if that's how it ends and if it ends tomorrow, then it ends tomorrow. I'll, you know, I'll go and push trolleys around Tesco equally as happy. You know, I've, I've, I've had a good run and I and I genuinely can't complain, John. The, 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 there's no, you know, when it ends or however it ends, I've got no animosity. I've got no uh, axe to grind or anything like that. I'll just happily walk away and go, yeah, thanks very much indeed. You know, <laughs> that's it. No. Scott, just one more question because I've taken up so much of your time and, and uh, this will mean nothing to anybody listening to the episode right now, but you've, you've done this podcast straight after your show, so I appreciate you talking for another hour and a bit. Why, my voice is a little bit hoarse, so apologies. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's doing it for me, Scott. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I ask um, my guests on Crunch and Roll who they would like to hear with their very own episode on this, this Crunch and Roll podcast. Who, who would it be for you? Oh, have you done JK yet? Well, do you know what? He said yes, and now he's gone quiet. So I'm uh, thinking of sending a death threat through the letter, and that's yeah, a joke, by the way. Yeah, you see, JK, or Bruno Brooks, I'd like to hear. Because, I, you know, I mean, he was my radio hero. So I'd like to hear Bruno. And I was lucky enough to to work with him very, very briefly in the 90s at TFM because he came to do the Late Show. And, and I was lucky enough to go down to his house for about a week uh, in Hungerford. And produced the late show from there, and kind of got went into his studio, and you know, and kind of saw his his, his gotcha and all of his discs that he'd been presented with the Smash It's Paul and his DJ of the year, you know, going into his his downstairs loo, and while I, while I was there, stood having a pee, looking there, and there's a picture of him with Paul and Linda McCartney, and thinking, yeah, this this is the life. Amazing. So so anybody like that, JK, I'd love to hear definitely, uh, and 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 certainly maybe Bruno Brooks if you can get Bruno. Oh yeah. Well, Scott, thank you so much for your time. It has been lovely to catch up with you after so many years. Well, thanks very much. Honestly, John, it's been an absolute pleasure. It, it really has. And, and I can uh, only apologise if my memory maybe isn't as, as clear as some of the other lads as well. And they go, no, it didn't happen like that whatsoever at all. But it, it did to me. And I've had, I've had an absolute blast uh, kind of going down memory lane with you. So thanks very much indeed for... For, for taking the time and showing an interest in somebody who really hasn't done much, <laughs> to, to be honest. And people are going, Scott Mills, is he on? Is he on, Scott Mills? Nope, no, nope, it's it's just me. It's just me. Are you all right to take us away with the end credits, please, Scott? I am indeed. Uh, right, here we go. You've been listening to Crunch and Roll with me, Scott Megan. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app to get every new episode as soon as they drop. Crunch and Roll is a 969 media production presented by my mate, John Fox. What a lad, eh? What a good guy. And produced by the legend that is Simon Rajofsky. Uh, thanks very much indeed for listening. Appreciate it. Oh, yeah. You know, Scott, Joel said uh, on his episode, whilst we were talking about you, that he remembers you just having three links, but I definitely remember you having four. <laughs> Honestly, 
They nicknamed me the Sean Gojock. You know, I was the original <laughs> Sean Gojock. So we'd go into the ads at 5-2 and, uh, and I'd be in the car well before the news. I'd be kind of on the A63 by the time the, the <laughs> one o'clock news came in. And uh, and I remember I remember driving to when I, when I was doing Radio Air because Radio Air introduced forty second links and, it, and I always remember going to, to you going I'm driving for a fucking hour and a half to do two minutes of radio and it was three forty second links you know and it was just it's just it was one of those things you know you go this is just bonkers it's absolutely nuts. 